With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Perpasso of CBSSports.com. Joined, as usual, by my regular guest, Matthew Collar of PurpleInsider.com and the Purple Insider Podcast. Matt, it is the official start of draft season because the Senior Bowl is here, and I'm bummed that I'm not in Mobile, Alabama. I usually love that week taking in those practices, and it's weird. Everyone leaves before the game, but the practices are a lot of fun, like Monday through Thursday. Uh, The seafood's great. It's a small little town. So I'm not down there for COVID purposes. CBS Sports didn't send anybody this year. Um, but because things are happening and there are players that are going to be entering the NFL draft on the field in Mobile, it's fitting that we talk about those players today. And we're going to go a little bit of a different route. I can't report on those players, obviously. We're going to break down tonight the five, to me, most interesting players at the Senior Bowl. They're not going to be the most obviously fascinating players but the guys to me I think have the most to prove and it will just be fascinating to watch and hear and listen and read about how well they perform at this uh, college all-star game. I know so we're just uh, at home and only able to take in uh, you know just what we could see on TV from the practices which you know Mm -hmm. you could pick up a lot though because they give you a lot of different TV angles and I think that this event in particular in the way that it's sort of grown to have so much media interest around it really fascinates me because it used to be just kind of like, uh, oh yeah, that thing exists and the teams cared about it a lot, but fans didn't care about it. And now it's like, oh, who's shining at the senior bowl? And here is the thing. It does matter to these teams. I mean, it's a really good up close and personal look at how they are on the field practicing. It's not just watching tape. It's not just watching from a press box. And what is it? The Panthers get a, a closer look as, as the coaching staff. So there are guys that we've seen in the past. The one I really remember was Cooper Cup, where it was like all of a sudden, wait a minute, this guy looks like he can actually play. He's not just a bunch of statistics and a, a pass happy offense. So I'm always interested in the receiver that kind of emerges during this because we get so many looks at those one-on-ones with corners and it does often translate into that player being a nice find for somebody and we've heard from a lot of coaches and gms over the past a few years that have not been shy about saying like this is an important event to us i think personally you should put 
like 95% of the film, like the weight on the actual collegiate film. But GMs have come out and said like for maybe for some of them, but definitely for some of the head coaches, especially if a team was in the playoffs, like this is their first impression of a lot of these prospects. And they're all sitting there uh, in Mobile watching practice next to the scouts that have been deep into these players for months and hey who's that guy who's that cooper cup player like is he someone that could be there in the second or third round just think back to last year we were talking about it before we started recording jeremy chin and kyle duggar uh from small school level both ended up going in the second round they proved uh that they were able to play against top competition that's kind of the low-hanging fruit the small school guys and i think Jim Nagy, um, and before him, Phil Savage, have done a great job along with their Senior Bowl scouting staff to discover these diamonds in the rough. Ali Marpet from Hobart a few years ago, Division Three, finding those diamonds in the rough that are able to play against guys from Alabama and Oregon and Notre Dame and Michigan and Ohio State. Um, so that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. Like They are certainly fascinating themselves, and there's a offensive lineman from uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, Quinn Manners, that apparently through the first couple of practices has just been demolishing people. We're not going to talk about him today. I want to start with a quarterback, Jamie Newman. He is so fascinating to me. Started at Wake Forest, uh, transferred to Georgia, and then before the season decided to opt out. And what's funny for me is about midway through his 2019 season at Wake Forest, I had watched some film and I pitched to my editors at CBSSports.com, like, hey, can I write a profile on this quarterback from Wake Forest trying to kind of find who would be that next quarterback after Joe Burrow that would kind of ascend up the ranks over the pre-draft process? And watching the film at Wake Forest, I thought Jamie Newman was the guy. There was a lot of tight window throws, a lot of good maneuvers inside the pocket. And then you would see him used in the design run game, throwing on the run deep down the field. And then right after that article published, and it was like with a headline like Jamie Newman has is a first-round talent, one of his receivers got hurt, they played Clemson and got throttled, and he kind of unraveled down the stretch. So maybe first-round talent was a little bit, uh, a little bit too much hype for him. But I think Jamie Newman is someone that, you know, we've talked at length already about the top four or five quarterbacks someone second, third, or fourth round um, would get someone that is very talented that has just been out of sight, out of mind, um, that showed some of those intricate qualities of being a good quarterback in the NFL, the downfield touch, the athleticism, and the feel inside the pocket. That's what I really liked about him. So to me, this week is gigantic for him. Do a lot of quarterbacks tear it up at the Senior Bowl? No, because they have to throw to receivers they're not used to. It's it's uh obviously not the same system that they had in college, but I think if he just impresses enough and doesn't look completely overwhelmed, that will do a lot for his stock. He looks like one of the best value picks at the quarterback spot in this class. And that's why the performance in the game is so tough to judge because it's not guys who are actually your teammates that you've been playing with. And it's usually some cut down version, like really cut down of an NFL playbook where you're just learning some portion of it and trying to, you know, show off some physical skills. And I think that you can take some things away. Remember Dave Gettleman said he saw Daniel Jones and then he was yeah. wowed and wanted Daniel Jones and no <laughs> one else, but Daniel Jones, um, which, Hey, you know, maybe someday he'll be right about that so far. Not so much, but it, it, it does matter for these quarterbacks 
to show their physical tools, I think, the most, and then their personalities as well. So the fact that the teams get to be able to talk to these guys and get a sense for like who they are as a person, and that's where you know Jamie Newman's got that to prove, too, to these guys that he's going to be able to handle going and playing on a big stage because he didn't get that opportunity at Georgia or he took himself out of that opportunity. And I also wonder, and this is not – This is not like a me opinion. This is a wondering about football people opinion is if some of the football people would be like, why'd you opt out? I think that's going to be their biggest thing is like, did you not, you know, did you not want to risk it for your teammates? Did you, is football not that important to you and things like that? And I'm not saying that that's a, a thing I would say because it's a global pandemic and everybody's health is important. And there are athletes whose careers have been impacted by Um, getting COVID. So I take that very seriously. But I also wonder if that's going to be the top question that everybody wants to ask Jamie Newman is, do you love the game enough for us to make you a franchise quarterback? Yeah, he's definitely going to get that question probably multiple times this week. Why he's fascinating to me beyond what I already listed is is that he's this out of sight, out of mind player, like I've said, for all these opt-outs. Um, but he's not just toolsy. Like, I think he has the tools. He has a strong arm. You saw it at Wake Forest in 2019, not just with his ability to drop it in the bucket down the field, but at the intermediate level. That's where I saw those tight window throws um, that you saw the velocity that you need behind the football and the accuracy. So it's not just he's very toolsy, but he doesn't know how to read a defense or he's terrible. Uh, just sitting inside the pocket. He was patient at times at Wake Forest in those first couple of months of the season. And then you saw like him get called run pass options that he was holding the ball and running 20, 30, 40 yards down the field. So he kind of fits that mold of a mid-round quarterback who checks a lot of the boxes of a modern-day quarterback. And I think you're right. Answering that question about why he opted out, um, showing coaches, and I don't know anything about his personality, um, but that will be very vital for him in Mobile, like in terms of him interacting with the Dolphins coaching staff, the Carolina Panthers coaching staff, and then all the other scouts and GMs that will be able to kind of interact with him a little bit. But he's really someone that I think had he played at Georgia this season, even if Georgia didn't go 11-2 and two and he didn't you know, lead the SEC in passing, he would have been someone we'd be talking about as a day two selection because the tools are there and some of those nuances of playing the quarterback position are there too. I just wonder if he's a little bit rusty. I mean, he hasn't played a football game in over a year. So Jamie Newman is someone, when you're watching NFL Network, when you're reading the practice reports, check to see how he's doing because he's the name that's kind of been forgotten um, in this quarterback draft class that's so top-heavy that I think would be, again, very good value day two, maybe early day three for a team that maybe already has a quarterback, maybe like the Minnesota Vikings, um, that wouldn't mind picking a quarterback later in the draft to develop down the road. Yeah, what I wonder about uh, Jamie Newman is if he's so underrated, he becomes overrated. <laughs> like, Ooh. you ever play this sort of game? Yeah. It's like when everyone's talking about how this guy might be the best draft value pick, does he become like maybe not? And <laughs> everyone will realize that and he will get picked in the second round or something. I mean, this is a big week for that, finding out if he actually is that undervalued type of player. Um, but when I think about what he has for tools and what is working in the NFL or 
or what's required to be really, really good in the NFL now, I mean, you might as well take shots on guys with those tools that you have other question marks about rather than take someone like Mac Jones. When I compare the two, I say I would rather take Jamie Newman late in the second round than Mac Jones at any point in the first round because I think that just one has the more tools and more of a ceiling to work with. And, and like you said, it's not just a raw prospect. I mean, the guy was, I believe PFF had him as the, having the most tight window throws in all mm-hmm. of 2019. They were all over his film. Right, and he didn't have receivers that were elites like Mac Jones that are running all over the place wide open. So, yeah, I mean, this is big for him to show that you know he can play with some good wide receivers and things like that throughout this week. But I just – I wonder how many NFL teams are shifting their thinking to feel the same way as opposed to let me get the safer quarterback, let me get the guy whose ceiling might be Kirk Cousins or might be Jimmy Garoppolo, and instead say that's not really worth – spending a first round pick on Brandon Whedon's are not worth spending high picks on or Mason Rudolph's to pick the Oklahoma state guys. It's it's, you want somebody with a higher ceiling. Uh, maybe even like a, if it, it feels a little Jalen Hurtsy because right mm-hmm. last year we were saying this hurts a third round pick and it'll be a value pick if someone gets him. Cause maybe there's something there. I feel the same way a little bit about Jamie Newman. Yeah. I think teams are going to start to, lean toward those toolsy traits type of quarterbacks instead of the high floor, low ceiling, because what are you going to ultimately get with that? You need everything to be perfect around them. And if you're picking them in the third or the fourth round, you're not going to necessarily build around that type of player. Right. Switching over to the other side of the ball, a Fetu Melifanwu from Syracuse. He's fascinating, similar to Jamie Newman in that he has the traits the physical and athletic attributes that you want at the cornerback position. He's six foot three, two twelve, and his film is pretty good too. He had thirteen pass breakups and three interceptions over the past two seasons. And normally when you scout a corner that's six three, especially in today's NFL, we've talked about it, it's all based on separation today, how easily and quickly you can get open if you're a wide receiver. When you're watching someone six foot three try to play cornerback, they look just completely out of sorts. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they can deal with a Mike Evans at times. They can get up, um, you know, in those jump ball situations. But Melifanu, and yes, he is brothers with Obi Melifanu, who went in the second round um, to the Oakland Raiders, has had an injury play career. I don't even know if he's in the league anymore, um, but had a really illustrious career at safety for UConn. That's his brother. So the genetics in the family are elite. Uh, he is slippery. He's twitchy. He can change directions with a lot of smaller wide receivers. And most of the receivers that he faced were a lot smaller. When I watched his film, when they played North Carolina, he did a number on Diami Brown, who's probably going to be a second or a third round pick, who's this downfield burner, six foot one, not, not a crazy separator. But I think the fact that Melifanwu was able to stick with him, broke up a few passes down the field. Uh, He's just someone that probably will get labeled as a little more raw than super technical, but I was very impressed at 6'3 and 212. He's kind of like this hybrid. Like, do you only want him to be matched up with these bigger boundary receivers or are you fine? and, And can he prove at the senior bowl that he is good and you can rely on him um, when he's facing uh, a shiftier, smaller wide receiver. 
Yeah, the six three thing, it really makes you go, hmm, at first. Yeah, like you kinda does. have to start there. It's almost like, hey, if a quarterback is five foot ten or five foot eleven, they could be Russell Wilson, but there's not that many Russell Wilson, so you really have to think about it. And sometimes that means if someone's able to get on the radars as a top draft pick at a different height, that might mean they're really good. Um, you know, same with like Aaron Donald. If you're able to be undersized and be a top 10 draft pick, that probably means you're really good at playing the game of football. So there is part of that with Melifonwu that I think about. But I also wonder about this, and it goes for everyone I know, but specifically with him, scheme fit and what you're going to do with him. Are you going to ask him to play man coverage all the time? Because I don't think there's any way to simulate what the NFL receivers do in, with any person that plays college football, the NFL wide receivers are on a completely different planet from college wide receivers. And every corner who comes into the league in their first year discovers that pretty quick. You know, mm-hmm. when you see like, you know, Trayvon Diggs was really good at Alabama and he's just getting smoked early on. It happens to all of them. Even uh, you probably remember Stefan Gilmore when he first came into the league. Yep. Um, Bill's fans were not impressed. And it, then he becomes a defensive MVP. So I do of course have some question marks there. Are you going to be able to play man coverage against shifty wide receivers who are smaller and who are fast and who are technicians and all those things? And I think about too, if you are a team that plays a zone type of system, maybe this is better for somebody that high or, you know, the nickel corner position is really morphing and everybody talks about like Tyron Matthew, how he could play safety or nickel, or you can move them all over. Last year, we heard that name a lot. Tyron Matthew haven't so far this year, leading up to the draft, like who's that guy? So maybe if you kind of see him as someone that, and you know what, if it doesn't work out perfectly as an outside corner, is he an inside corner? Is he a safety? Is he somebody that like, if it doesn't work out, you can make it work somewhere else. Yeah, that's a fantastic point with him. And I think he does have the ability, maybe not to deal with Devonte Adams or Stefan Diggs or Tyreek Hill on the outside. But again, I think his hips are loose enough and his feet are quick enough that some of the 6'1", 6'2", wide receivers that play on the boundary, I think he could stay with them. But I would draft him and just let him sit in zone. I mean, with that length mm-hmm. and that ability to plant and drive on the football that he showed a lot at Syracuse, that's where you would allow him to be a playmaker. And you're right, if things just go awry, he's your strong safety. And you can play him in the box. You can roll him um, you know, to the deep middle and just let him run around the field. I think had we gotten a combine this year, I, I think he would have tested – very well. And at the Syracuse Pro Day, we'll probably see, you know, a performance like his brother Obi that ran like 4-4 flat and had a 41-inch vertical. And that led him to going in the second round to the Raiders. So he's just someone at the Senior Bowl, and there's a lot of good wide receivers down there in Mobile. I'm really tracking to see, you know, how he's doing in those one-on-one drills that are not very kind to cornerbacks right. most often because it's, right. it's usually like the receivers can run a route in like eight seconds. They can go in any way across the entire field. Um, But to see someone that big who is not stiff whatsoever, that's why he intrigues me because that if he, if week to week you're getting occasionally a bigger rebounder on the outside, uh, you know, in the NFL, and then you have to deal with someone shiftier. I think Melifonwu's second or third round again, and it's early. These draft stocks will change quite a bit was just a really interesting player. So he's one certainly to track. Same position, Thomas Graham from Oregon. This one does not, like this player, I, I can't understand why there's not more hype for him. Uh, he was the number 11 recruit 
at the cornerback spot just a few years ago, and I have written down who he was just behind. Jalen Johnson, A.J. Terrell, Darnay Holmes, and Jeffrey Akuda among like the top 10 that were in front of him. So he was a big recruit at Oregon. 32 pass breakups in his three years career with the Ducks, 28 in the past two years, along with eight interceptions. Like watching full games of Oregon with Justin Herbert and some of the defensive talent that they had, Troy Dye on the Vikings, it was like every big play that was happening. Thomas Graham from the slot on the outside uh, was making a play. He's only 5'10 and around 190 pounds. Uh, I've seen some, you know, he's too small label, but then I remember – Denzel Ward went top five and he was like 5'11, 190. And if we're going to say that 6'3, 212 is a little bit of a red flag, like I don't see why 5'10 or 5'11, 195 is any bit of a problem. So he's someone, too, I think he has legitimate versatility, Thomas Graham, that he plays bigger on the outside because he's very aware when the football is arriving. I don't think he's a 40 inch vertical guy, I don't think he's an insane athlete or a burner. But he can play bigger on the outside, and he's very fluid. He almost looks like if you moved a slot receiver to the other side of the ball. Like He is very aware of route concepts. He's pretty good at the line of scrimmage, and he's very savvy in zone. But I don't really, and I haven't read any uh, hype about him being a first or a second-round pick. So at the Senior Bowl, um, you know, he opted out. So we didn't see a lot of him. I, I'm just interested to see, again, he's going to be put through the – uh, gauntlet of in those one-on-one drills and then in the games. But Thomas Graham is someone that I think will actually probably get picked later in the draft. And in a few years, we're going to be talking about him as one of the better, more underrated players who can play outside and inside. And I think that's very vital in today's NFL. I totally agree. Yeah, that was exactly, you took the words out of my mouth with the playing outside and inside because every team is being asked to play in nickel and dime 80%, 90% of the time. I mean, you think about offenses like the Chiefs and the Bills that we saw in the AFC Championship. You better have answers for three or four wide receivers all the time. There are very few offenses in the NFL that are running, you know, two tight ends or a fullback back there. And so nickel corner, that's a starting position. I mean, really, it's more of like a nickel I don't know, back or something like that, where you see different sizes and shapes and different usages like Nickel Roby Coleman. Um, you know, he makes that famous play in the NFC championship game, you know, where he commits pass interference, but good player at like five foot yeah. seven, he could tackle undrafted and, too. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing is like smaller guys, Antoine Winfield back in the day, the older Antoine Winfield, smaller guys who have toughness and who can tackle and have a high motor. And I, I think that Graham looks this way to me where he's somebody who is just sort of always dialed in in the way he plays. And I also think, and you have to tell me if you disagree with this, but I think that a, a guy should have some numbers. Like sometimes you'll see someone has zero interceptions and they'll say, well, you know, whatever. It wasn't that big of a deal. He had tight coverage. I get that, but I mean, you got to make plays on the football in the NFL. And I like that he's got that as well. So if, even though you don't have the exact right weight, if you can tackle, if you've got the toughness, the high motor, the playmaking, all of that stuff, I think all of that is going to translate to make up for, hey, you're not the perfect size. Yeah, to your last point, I'm a big fan of production. And and whether you're just looking at someone's sports reference page or you're just seeing it on film, I remember scouting the 2017 cornerback class, and I ended with Tredavious White as my number one corner over Marshawn Lattimore and Gary and Conley. 
it was kind of seen as this, uh, you know, contrarian opinion, or, or I was in the minority because at the combine, Marshawn Lattimore and Gary and Conley that season, they both won the first round, obviously, too, from Ohio State. They like tested through the roof, like they they checked the physical and athletic marks. They didn't have crazy production. Tredavious White had like malt, like double digit pass breakups every season at LSU, something like that. And you saw it on film, and that's kind of how like similar vibes that I get to Thomas Graham. Like I said, I every game he was making a play where I was either impressed by his leaping ability against a six foot two. Um, outside wide receiver or just reading uh, a wide receiver trying to sit in the void of a zone and getting his hands on the football. Like he's always around the ball. And I think he probably will get picked later because kind of what you said about Roby Coleman, like he's not going to check a lot of those physical boxes. And I don't think he's going to run four, four flat, but he again is someone in a league that is playing so much more zone today than they are man. And really, unless you are a coach that is off the Bill Belichick, or I guess you could say Rex Ryan uh, uh, coaching tree, you're not going to be this predominant press man team. I mean, Mike Patton is still there in Green Bay. I don't know for how much longer, but beyond him and with Matt Patricia getting fired, there's not a ton of teams that are like, we are a press man team only, and we need freak athletes that can stay in the hip pocket of wide receivers. A lot of teams are like, Let's play zone. Let's rush four, get creative with our blitzes. So I think Thomas Graham is someone that will ultimately outplay his draft position because he is good in zone and can do enough for you in man coverage. So certainly keep your eyes on him over the week and then on Saturday during the actual senior bowl game. Um, Staying on the same side of the ball, Janarius Robinson, different position, defensive lineman, edge rusher. He immediately, and we've said, we've joked that we don't want to be a podcast that is scouting the helmet or the jersey. (laughs) But this player, to me, reminds me so much of another Florida State player, Josh Sweat, who went in the fourth round to the Eagles a few drafts ago. Um, And I remember being at the Combine in 2018, I believe he was picked. And he had a better combine workout than a Jadavian Clowney, like at a similar (laughs) size. And like no one was really cared about it. He had a bunch of knee injuries. That's kind of pushed him down the board. Um, And his film was pretty good too. I don't think Janarius Robinson is as refined using his hands as Josh Sweat was, but he measured in at 6'5", 266 with nearly 36-inch arms and an 87-inch wingspan (laughs) just a few days ago down in Mobile. And then you watch him on film, and I just said it to you before, he runs like after the ball, like chasing from the backside, or if he recovers a fumble, like he is a pass-catching tight end. Like there is no stiffness, there is no uh, heaviness in his lower half. And as a pass rusher, um, he had 25 pressures this season on 220 uh, pass rushing snaps, it's only 11.4% uh, pressure creation rate, which is not great, but you see the traits. I'm not going to say he's Denell Hunter 2.0, but certainly a good outside speed rush. He can kind of dip and bend around the corner a little bit despite being pretty tall. And then he likes to use his spin move back to the inside. So because he was so athletically ahead of most of his competition, even in the ACC, just those two moves worked for him. I think he would need to kind of develop more but he's that one player that we were saying, Jamie Newman and Melifanwu are, are toolsy and their film is super good. I don't think Robinson's film is spectacular. I wouldn't put him in the first or the second round. 
But if he shows this week at the Senior Bowl, like, hey, like you guys see how long I am, how athletic I am, and in those very important one-on-one drills, D-line against O-line, um, if he shows some more pass rushing moves, we could probably be hearing about him being a riser because he just has a lot that you cannot coach once he gets to the NFL. I mean, he has an NBA body. Like he does. The, the arm strength uh, or the arm length, sorry, is, is just unreal. Like when you look at the guy, um, long arm technique, maybe start there. But it's a really mm-hmm. interesting conversation about guys who don't have this unbelievable production but have the traits along the defensive line because you mentioned Daniel Hunter, who I've experienced covering, and the Vikings particularly have tried to chase the next Daniel Hunter and fail and failed and failed like lanky guys who are really athletic and dominate the combine and it's like he's kind of the outlier and here's the difference maker is that when Daniil Hunter got to the NFL he really picked up on the technical parts of it and when I watched um, some of Robinson's game I just I mean there's just not a whole lot of and this goes for so many college guys, but there's just not a whole lot of like moves and counter moves. It's sort of like you mentioned the spin and it's usually kind of, I'm going to run real fast and see if I can go around this guy. <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing. Now the fluidity, the athleticism, those things are, are great. But I also saw when he would run into a tackle, he didn't move the tackle. He kind of just ran into the tackle. And it wasn't like, oh, I ran into the tackle and now let me swim out of this. Now let me counter out of this. It was sort of just, okay, if the quarterback runs, then I'm going to run him down from here. But I wonder about that. I mean, it's it's a guy that, like you said, you certainly pick as you go down the draft board and say, pick freaks and just see what happens. Um, but I guess when when I was watching him, I wasn't saying like, wow, this guy is really you know making my eyes bug out of my head with just how he was beating offensive linemen. So at the Senior Bowl, if he can show that he can actually do that, maybe with a little instruction, then he becomes an intriguing player just because of how he looks. Yeah, and I mean, this is not – I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not pounding the table for Janarius Robinson right now, but for this episode, he's just a fascinating Senior Bowl participant. Definitely. Because he checks the boxes physically and athletically, and we'll get into the super specifics during the pre-draft process – I don't think he is like an Ede Aruna that is just a uh, a straight ahead linear explosive type of yeah, defensive lineman. Deep into the bag for I'm that. Going one. deep. I'm going yeah. Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. I'm going Tulane. Like, I'm sixth, impressed. Sixth round. Never I scouting him. Never saw him. I mean, like he might have been in a training camp, but that was it. <laughs> yeah, which he was someone that got tabbed as this athletic defensive lineman but at the combine like he just jumped high and ran fast but like the three cone the short shuttle were not mm-hmm. great I think Janarius Robinson like Denell Hunter um, will be completely fine at the pro day running the three cone drill like he is complete like his hips almost look like they become unhinged when he's changing directions <laughs> he's that type of athlete so I think a lot of times to kind of go off on a tangent here with the words that get thrown around the adjectives during the pre-draft process, you hear athletic or athleticism and think, and, and I think it, it gets labeled incorrectly at times. Like if a guy's explosive, that's one thing, but a lot of explosive players are stiff hipped and they don't have loose ankles and they can't really change directions. That's not like a great athlete to me. That's someone who's really fast. I think Janarius Robinson does have the ability to kind of bend that edge and wrap it tightly to the quarterback. So yeah, I, I'm not thinking he's someone that, 
I'm going to have in my top 32 come April 25th. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to be one of if, – if he shows at the Senior Bowl um, that he, like you said, with some instruction and some coaching – can do something else besides an outside speed rush and a spin move. Someone that will be one of my draft sleepers later on, because it's like you said, as you get further and further down the list, I know some teams say, Hey, let's just draft really good football players, but I would kind of lean toward draft like a freak and just see if he turns out in most cases um, that I would rather pick Janarius Robinson than a productive edge rusher. That's six, one, two twenty. Like I, I would just always lean in that direction. So he was someone when I saw the way in and when I remember watching his film over the past couple of weeks, I was like, this is a guy that has so much that he could gain in those one-on-one drills. And then during the game, like if he's showing that he's beating the top senior competition um, in the country with whatever move it is, if it, if it is just with that speed rush or that spin move, I think that will do a lot for his draft stock. So Janarius Robinson, the edge, from Florida State is another fascinating prospect at the Senior Bowl. Last but not least, we'll go back to offense because we know it's all about offense in today's NFL. If you watched the NFC or the AFC title games, that was very apparent. Demetric Felton, UCLA, he's a really interesting just overall profile and resume coming into this draft. He was the number 10 all-purpose back as a recruit, one spot ahead of Josh Jacobs. I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, when he went to UCLA, started, though, at wide receiver. In his first three seasons for the Bruins, he was a slot receiver. And he was, you know, meddling. Like, he didn't do anything crazy. He wasn't, uh, you know, super productive. And then toward the end of last season and then into this season, they morphed him into a running back. He only averaged 3.8 yards per carry last season, but he caught 55 passes still as predominantly a wide receiver this year he made the full transition to running back averaged 5.1 yards per carry still caught over 20 passes and he's someone on film I wouldn't say that he's like when it comes to jump cuts he's like this guy that's just going to leave NFL linebackers like whiffing at air but almost on every run it's like he has the full arsenal of moves in space like spin move uh, stutter step, like just a crossover move. Like Demetric Felton looks like a basketball player or a slot receiver, just getting the handoffs very often. And he's someone we've talked about it a lot with a lot of other positions. And we have talked about it with Travis Etienne and uh, Najee Harris. That is a running back that you can use comfortably in your passing game. And he, if, if these bigger hybrid safeties that are part linebacker, if those are trendy, I think this is the way Demetric Felton, how he's built that the running back position will continue to go. And it's funny. One last story on him after the AFC title game, me being from Western New York, like a lot of people that I follow that follow me are bills fans. And like immediately after the game, like the next day there was this uproar. And I'm sure you saw it too, Matt, of yes. like, should the bills pick Travis Etienne or Najee Harris at number 30 overall? And I'm not in that boat whatsoever. I, yeah, I let me break this. Ra- to you. No. Yeah. No, I, I've, raved, I've raved about Najee Harris. And I've said like every week I watched him, I was like, holy crap, this guy's unreal. We know how good Travis Etienne is. I've compared him to Alvin Kamara. But then I was like, I would pick Demetric Felton like in the fourth round way before I would pick Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. He's not like as flashy of a prospect, but his film I think is really good. And a former slot receiver um, who has the route running chops, and he's already shown that apparently at the senior bowl during practices, 
who proved that he can actually be a pretty efficient runner. I think that's a valuable player that you could get in the middle of the draft. Call him a receiver, call him an offensive weapon, call him a running back. Demetric Felton, I think, um, has a lot to gain and is already proving that he is kind of the pioneer or just the poster child for what teams are going to use their running backs for in the future. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, the Bills are a team that drafted Zach Moss last year thinking he would be a difference maker. And, you know, he's like another running back. Um, Mm -hmm. But put that one aside. I think that team needs a little interior pass rush more than anything. But uh, anyway, on the on the matter of uh, Felton, I you know, I I was watching his highlights from the Senior Bowl calling him Demetric Sproles. I mean, he just yeah. like even though he's taller than Sproles. Sproles is like 5 foot 7. So he's got like a couple inches on him. But like just the way that he can get really low to the ground and he can just make these incredibly c- quick cuts and run routes like a wide receiver. I mean, you could see that type of role for somebody like this. And I I think that the Darren Sproles type is, if not every bit as valuable, more valuable than trying to look for the next Derrick Henry that can plow people over and average five yards carry great. But if you have a running back who can go vertical and make plays, that kind of reminds me of like the James White role for a while in New England where he did run the ball to some extent, but he was often just coming out of the backfield, running routes and lining up at the line of scrimmage as a wide receiver. I think that, I mean, anytime you can have a guy who is extremely multiple in his role as a running back, like you mentioned, Elvin Kamara, I mean, this is not a playmaker of Elvin Kamara's caliber, but Kamara's a third round pick too, though, right? I mean, so he was not a guy that was coming out of Tennessee is just this dominant, like slam into the line of scrimmage type of running back. So I, I love this type of player, the scat back from back in the day that now is the one who can line up in a five wide receiver set. And if he's lined up against a linebacker, he could toast that linebacker and get open and create separation. And I was, I thought he was a wide receiver when I first saw some of the highlights and I was not really familiar with him at UCLA. I was like, Oh, that, I mean, that's a good route by that wide receiver. I I didn't realize until, um, you know, looking into it a little bit like, Oh, this guy is actually a running back. So I like, I like the fact that he could play in multiple positions. He seems like one of those guys that's just an immediate riser um, because of the senior bowl. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I was going to like mention when I first watched his film, even last year, I was like, this is a wide receiver because most of the time when like a running back gets split out into the slot, like he kind of looks awkward standing there and like Mm -hmm. he tries to run like an out and up and it's a little slow. It's staggered. Like, We've seen the running back position get more athletic, but normally you can tell when a running back is out there. Felton is 5'9", 185. Like, that would be normal slot receiver size. And in terms of his explosiveness, his the intricacies running his routes, like changing speeds and using head fakes and stuff, like, he's doing things that NFL veterans at the running back spot don't do right. running routes. And I'll even go a step further from what you said. Like, I get the Darren Sproles vibes, but – We're going to start to see smart teams use running backs, not just in the screen game, not just on swing passes. Darren Sproles was like the best screen back in the league for like a decade. Um, And on swing passes, Drew Brees could check down to him and and it was going to be a 20-yard gain because he was so electric in space. But with Najee Harris, with Travis Etienne, with Demetrik Felton, there's another good one from Memphis, Kenny Gainwell. Like these players look like wide receivers running wide receiver routes 10, 15 yards down the field. So 
it's going to be interesting because it's so early on in this almost new position. Like, how early will a team pick Demetric Felton? Like, will he go in the second round, um, being this uh, you know part-time player at two spots? So we've thought of for the last five years or so, like, hey, a running back. He's got to have good hands. He's got to be able to catch it out of the backfield. Uh, you know, good reading uh, screen blocks. But with someone like Demetric Felton, who has been running receiver routes at the Senior Bowl and getting open against corners, like I think that will kind of be the new requisite for a running back who's picked relatively early, unless he's super duper productive, like a Derrick Henry, like an Alvin Kamara, um, something like that. So I think. Uh, He's someone that has a lot to prove, and so far, like the early returns on what he's done, not just to linebackers but to corners and to safeties, Demetric Felton is going to be that you know hot name coming out of the Senior Bowl. I think wherever you think a running back's talent is, bump it down around, right? Because that's would true. It, would it even surprise you if only one running back went in the first round this year? I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me at all. Um, even last year, uh, Edwards Hilaire, I thought, oh, really? You're actually taking a running back in the first round? Mm-hmm. I mean, just because of the, I think, league's better understanding of the positional value of running backs and how replaceable, but also they don't last that long. And so oftentimes if you're signing them to a second contract, you're kind of putting your life in your hands, and that's not what you want from that position. Somebody like this, though, even if his, even if his talent is higher than his draft uh, stock or where he ends up getting taken – the nice thing about somebody who can play with this uh, unique of a skill set is I feel like these guys last longer, like they're effective longer because you're not giving them 250 carries. You're probably giving them a hundred carries and then 50 targets is the way that mm-hmm. you're using them. And, you know, Sproles used playing until he's like 35 years old. Right. And yeah. I, you know, those, the old school scat back, who is quick and who can catch the ball and all those things. A lot of times those guys would play forever. And I think that there's more value in that. If you're a team drafting somebody who might go on to a second contract and you don't feel terrified that they're going to, you know, by year five be averaging 3.8 yards a carry. Yeah. And I'll finish with this on Felton that, you know, this Matt, but just for all of our listeners that there's kind of this um, draft Twitter thing or, or just a, a scouting thought that a running back needs to be 200 pounds. There's like a threshold where like at the combine every year over the past decade or so, like if a running back was even like 197, it was like, no, it's not big enough. Like they just over. And I think there's been studies that have been done about just like a lot of running backs that don't reach that mark. Um, just aren't able to like withstand all the rigors of, and just the physical rigors of playing like traditional running back. Felton's only 5'9", 183, so I think he'll actually be like 75% receiver, 25% running back in the NFL, mm. and that probably bodes well for him um, at the next level. Teach him to punt okay. return, then he can do everything. Yeah, everything. He He's an <laughs> offensive and special teams weapon, uh, so watch him when you're getting those little uh, live look-ins on NFL Network from the senior bowl and then just see how they use him in the game on Saturday. I think that's, will give you a little glimpse of the type of player, not only that he can be in the NFL, but Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Kenny Gainwell, and just this new wave of running backs that are really running good routes and getting open like wide receivers. All right. That'll do it for me today for Chris Trapasso. That's Matthew Collar. This was the prospect podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate review, and also Listen to Matt's daily Vikings podcast, 
Purple Insiders, also here on the Blue Wire Network. Thank you for listening.